Good morning, Gateway family. It's great to be with you again this morning to come together and worship the Lord. Uh, we are eight weeks in. It is now our two-month mark. It's hard to believe that during this unique season that we're a part of. But we are so grateful to the Lord for technology, for all the volunteers who have sacrificed their time to come, to be a part of this, to bring the word of the Lord to you, to bring worship through song to you. And so we're just very grateful to what God has been doing over the past few weeks. Um, we also want to just give a little shout out and a thanks and to honor our moms. We just want to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. Uh, we just hope and pray that you get to have a day of rest and to be able to enjoy your families um, on this day that we get to honor you and celebrate all of you moms. And we're just so grateful to the Lord for all of you. Uh, we're going to start again this morning as we do each week, uh, just declaring the word of the Lord over us. And so we're going to read this morning from Psalm chapter 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name. O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. Are the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies are Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's worship the Lord together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time of worship and praise through song. God, thank you so much for our worship team and for them to be faithful to come and sacrifice their time, Lord, to lead us into your throne of grace. We thank you for this time to declare your words and to worship you and to honor you as you were so rightfully due. And Lord, again, we thank you for this time that we can pray and stand in the gap and intercede for situations, for families, for individuals. And, God, to know that you are good and faithful and trustworthy. And so, Lord, we come to you again and just cry out for your mercy during this season of this pandemic. God, we pray again for your protection, for your healing over our Gateway family, for all those connected with us. God, we just pray for your faithfulness, your supernatural power, God, just to rest over us. And we entrust it all to you because you are good and faithful. Lord, we also lift up a couple more first responders who are a part of our body, Lord. We thank you for Michelle Adams, who's a pharmacist with the Veterans Association who works with the VA and those men and women, and for Alex Hood, who's an EMT. God, we pray for your protection over them as well as they're on the front lines and meeting with people and getting out into the field, bringing medical care and providing all the needs that they need during this time. We pray that you keep them healthy and strong, and God, may they continue to be salt and light in your ambassadors and and wherever they are and all the individuals that they come in contact with, Lord, uh, that they experience you. When people see these two, God, they experience your love and grace. And, Lord, we also this morning want to lift up our Gateway Youth. We thank you, Lord, for them during this season, how they've been faithful to meet uh, through Zoom, through Bible studies. Drew's been so faithful to gather them together and continue to talk in your word and, and to, uh, to study. And we uh, thank you, Lord. Many of them are coming down the home stretch with school, getting ready for finals, some even graduating from high school this year. We pray, Lord, you continue to draw them to yourself, continue to reveal yourself, God, cultivate that relationship. And, and preparing them for the summer and all that they have in store and what's to come. And, Lord, we want to lift up uh, three teenagers and one college-age guy uh, specifically who are working as interns this summer for the Montgomery Baptist Association. We thank you, Lord, for Stella and Angelina and Christiana. And, uh, Lord, for college guy Jake, we thank you for the four of them as they're going to serve faithfully this summer and uh, to serve in this community in so many different ways, being salt and light, taking the gospel to different areas, with working with kids and the homeless and families, providing food and all sorts of care all throughout the River Region over these next few months. Uh, so we just pray your protection over them, keep them strong and healthy, and we just thank you, Lord, for their, their heart to volunteer and to sacrifice their time uh, to serve this community. And, Lord, we continue to lift up Lenny and Debbie Dixon, Lord, in their ministry with Shepherd Staff. We thank you, Lord, for their heart. I know that they're continuing to minister wherever the need is in the city, in this community uh, that's connected to their ministry. We pray for health and strength. We pray for continued resources for them, the finances that they need to be able to provide um, all that they need for their ministry, God, in so many different ways. So bless Lenny and Debbie, God, as we lift them up to you. 
And Lord, we lift up Pastor Mark again in Haiti. Uh, we just saw recently on Facebook how he's training some leaders within his congregation to go up into the hills and into their neighborhoods uh, to have small groups. And so, God, we pray for continued healing for he and his family and strength and health uh, so he's able to continue in the work you've called him to. Um, give him wisdom during this time as he's raising up leaders in their community. And also, God, for the church that's still in good progress um, in Gallard up in the mountain. We pray, God, for continued resources for them, health for all the builders, and strength as they continue the work um, in getting that church building ready to minister. And also, Lord, we just recently found out that the truck that they used for many years for ministry, they were in a, an accident up in the hills. It rolled over and was uh, very badly damaged that they needed to get a new truck. And we thank you, Lord, that we can say the resources have already been provided for them to be able to get a new one to continue the ministry that they need by using it up in the mountains. And uh, we're so thankful, God, that you provided that for them. And, God, again, we thank you for the unreached peoples we can pray for. And, Lord, this morning we pray for the Imaragian of Mauritania. We thank you, Lord, um, just to be able to lift them up by name. There are Sunni Maliki Muslims living in fishing villages along the Atlantic coast there in Mauritania. And, Lord, we do thank you um, through research have found out that the Jesus film and other gospel resources are in their heart language where they are able to go in and to be able to minister the gospel in their heart language through these resources. So, Lord, we pray for conviction as missionaries and others go in um, to be able to reach them in their villages. We pray, God, that you bring repentance, that you would speak and reveal yourself, God, in this very difficult time and in this villages, Lord, obviously with them um, being very solid into their Muslim faith, Lord. But we know you can break through. We know, God, you can speak and reveal yourself. And, Lord, also want to remember that Youth with the Mission, the Mercy Ships, travel up and down that African coast with one of their hospital ships called the Africa Mercy. And, Lord, we just pray that they can strategically port in that area um, near this their villages to be able to bring medical care and also, God, to bring the gospel. And so we thank you for the ministry of Mercy Ships. We pray, God, that they would uh, strategically go up and down the coast and be able to reach um, the Imeragian uh, during that time. And, Lord, we thank you for Grady. We thank you for his heart. We thank you for shepherding of us. We thank you for his heart to just learn, Lord, and study and to bring your word to us. We thank you for our study in James. We pray this morning for him to have energy and strength and health and uh, as he brings the word forth. Uh, this morning for us, God. Just we're excited to hear what you have for us this morning and just bless him during this time. And God, again, we just thank you. We praise you. You're good. You're faithful. You are just. And uh, we entrust all these individuals, these situations, these lives in your hands for you are good and faithful. We love and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. I want you to find James chapter two in your copy of God's word or in your Bible out there. We find ourselves in the middle of the section of James where James is addressing the issue of favoritism, and particularly favoritism in the church. Now, just to remind us of what we've been seeing, favoritism is where we prefer some believers over others because of external factors. It's where we include some people in our life but exclude others because of some criteria that we have set. Now, we can show favoritism and partiality over many different things. Now, to remind us what James is addressing in the life of the early church was favoritism because of riches, favoritism because of wealth, where they were including people who were wealthy but trying to exclude those who were poor. They were showing preferential treatment for the wealthy. Now, for us, friends, it can be that issue of riches or wealth as well. But there's a whole myriad of things that it could be as well. We can show preferential treatment to people who dress a certain way, people with a certain physical appearance, people of a certain race or ethnicity, people of a certain age or generation, people of a certain personality type or education or the way they educate their kids or where they live or political views. We go on and on with the things that we could potentially show preferential treatment over. Over the last two weeks, as James has addressed this issue for the early believers and for us today, we've seen two key truths. And I just want to remind us what we've seen already in this section. The first thing we saw from James is that showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. The showing favoritism is incompatible with our faith in Christ. This is the main idea of the whole section of chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. This is James trying to help us learn how to walk out our faith, to live what we claim we believe. That if we say we have faith in Christ, showing preferential treatment for some over others is incompatible with what we claim to believe. Then last week, as we continue through this section, we saw James showing us how we need to guard ourselves against longing for what the world offers when what God offers is so much better. He calls us to guard against longing for what the world offers. Now, if we think about what we've seen the last two weeks, friends, in a sense, these are things that we need to get rid of from our lives. We need to get rid of 
partiality. We need to get rid of longing for what the world offers. In a sense, this is what we need to put off from our life. Now think back with me. If you were with us at Gateway when we studied Ephesians last year, we saw an important life principle in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul tells the people at Ephesus and us, he says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says to put off your old self, to get rid of from your life things of your old nature, things that you would do before you came to faith in Christ, things that the world would do. And one of the things that we need to put off is favoritism, is partiality. But if you remember from that study of Ephesians, that holiness, practical holiness and Christ-likeness was not found by just not doing certain things. We had to not just put off simple things, but we had to replace them with Christ-like virtues. So two verses later in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, Paul says, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, that we're to put on, we're to seek to do certain things, we're to do what Jesus would do. This is called the put-off, put-on principle of the Christian life, that we put off simple behaviors and we put on Christ-like virtues. Now, James does not use that particular terminology in James chapter 2, but the idea is still here, and James is still showing us the same thing. The last two weeks has been putting off, putting off favoritism and putting off longing for what the world says we should long for. Now, today in our verses we come to in chapter 2, we get the put-on. We get what we should be doing instead, what Jesus commands us to do and what Jesus models perfectly for us to do as well. So we look at James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 this morning. I want you to be looking for what are we to put on? What is it that we're to replace? Yes, we should not show favoritism. We should not show partiality. But what is it we need to be intentionally pursuing? What should we be striving to do? And as you think about that, is there any hope for us to actually be able to do that? James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you're able where you are, can you stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? Friends, we have a treasure of God's revelation to us to study together this morning. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. James 2, 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that even though we're apart and not at the same place this morning, we can still gather together and study your word. And we thank you for the power of your word, how your word convicts and how your word encourages, how your word teaches us, how your word transforms us. And God, I pray this morning in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters that your word would transform us, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the truth of your word and it would change us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, friends, what I want you to see this morning from these two verses is simply this. We need God's grace to change us so we genuinely can care for one another. We need God's grace to change us so we can genuinely care for one another. So, friends, what is it that we're to put on? We're to put on genuine care, genuine concern, genuine love for one another. We're to put on pursuing people, including those different than us, not for them to serve us, but for us to serve them, for us to love them. But friends, that's hard. That goes against our flesh. That goes against what the world shows us. So is there any hope to do that? And there is, friends. But it's not from determination. It comes from the grace of God being given to us to transform us. We need God's grace to change us so we can genuinely care for one another. Now, to show us this truth, James is once again going to remind us of the put off, what we need to rid our lives of. And if you're thinking, hasn't James been talking about that? He has. And is he repeating himself again today? Yes, friends, he's repeating himself again today. It is that important. He's going to say the same thing again, but say it with even stronger terms. Look once again at the put off of the command here. Verse number nine. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He says, if you show partiality, if you show favoritism, you are committing sin. Now, this word committing is a Greek word for work, the Greek word for doing. This is a reminder for us that showing partiality, showing favoritism is an active choice on our part. We are choosing to work. We are choosing to do something here. And when we choose to include some people and exclude others over any of those external factors we've been talking about the last few weeks, God calls it sin. Let me just remind you what the word sin means. The word sin in Greek literally means missing the mark. 
It's the image of an archery where the person's shooting their arrow at the archery target and not even hitting the center, but completely missing the mark, completely missing the target. And for us as believers, the target, the mark, the standard is what God has said for us to do. And so sin then is falling short of God's standards. That's doing what God has said not to do. In this particular case, that would be showing favoritism or partiality. But sin is also missing the mark by not doing what God has said to do, which in this case is loving your neighbor as yourself. Friends, though we can often see favoritism as trivial or not that big of a deal or kind of make up excuses of, oh, I just need to work on this, God calls favoritism in the church active rebellion against him. It's that serious, God. Look at how it's described further in verse 9. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as, notice this next word, as transgressors. Friends, this is a strong word. Transgressors are people who consciously choose to disobey. Transgressors are people who choose to live in willful sin. So God is giving us, once again, another very sobering warning here, that if we play favorites in the church, if we have cliques, if we include some people and exclude others, we are acting like transgressors. Friends, is that serious to God? Because that's the opposite of what he wants his church to be. God desires his church to be a place of unity, of love, of belonging, of growth together. And when we show favoritism, we're doing the exact opposite of what God has asked us to be like. So he tells us to put it off. But he also tells us something has to go in its place. It's not just enough to not show favoritism. If we achieve that by God's grace and quit showing favoritism, we're not there. We've not arrived. There's more for us here. And that's the main point of these particular verses, verses 8 and 9. It's what we put on, what we replace it with. Look at what this is. Go back up to verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. He tells us we need to fulfill the law. Now, some of your translations here might say to keep the law. Now, when we hear the words fulfill or keep, our mind goes to obedience. We need to obey the law. And friends, that is part of it, but that's not all that's included here. When you see the word, if you really fulfill the law, this word in the Greek conveys the idea of completeness, of attaining maturity. That means that what God's calling us to do is not just an occasional act of obeying him on this, but a Christ-like maturity in how we view and how we relate consistently with one another. And what is it that we're being called to do? How are we called to relate to one another? We're to be mature. We're to put on. We're to have a life that's marked by, verse 8 here, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, friends, this is not a new command. This is not some new teaching that James is giving to the early believers or to us. This command is found all throughout Scripture. In fact, this command first appears back in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. There in the Mosaic Law, God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When Jesus was once asked about what was the most important part of the law, he summarized it well and quotes this as well. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then Paul quotes it more than once. The one place in Romans chapter 13, 9 and 10, where he tells us that all the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Friends, all throughout Scripture is this command that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the clear, revealed will of God for every single one of us. But friends, that raises several questions. If we're going to understand this law that has been given to us, this requirement God has given to us, what does this mean? So there's four questions I want us to look at to make sure we understand what we're to put on, what we're to be doing. What exactly are we called to do here? Who are we to act this way towards? Why should we bother trying to pursue this? And then how can we actually accomplish this? So four questions I want us to answer briefly this morning. What are we called to do? Who are we called to act this way to? Why should we bother? And how is it possible? What, who, why, and how? Let's start with the first question. What exactly are we being called to do here? What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself? Now, friends, our culture often presents love as just an emotion, just a feeling that we have. But that's not what it is. What is love? Well, if you remember back to our study of Ephesians, we define love this way. Love is a choice we make to give of ourselves 
for the good of another. Love is a choice we make to give of ourselves for the good of another person. So how do we seek the good of someone else? How do we seek the good of another? Well, we find the answer in verse number eight here in the command itself. You shall love your neighbor, notice what comes next, as yourself. So friends, how do you love yourself? We don't get up in the morning and hug yourself and sit in bed and go, I love me, I love me, I love me. That's not how you love yourself. It's not a feeling. The way you love yourself is you get up in the morning and you clean up. You get dressed. You feed yourself. You go to work. You love yourself by taking care of yourself. You love yourself by making sure your needs are met. And that's the exact point here. The way we love one another is we love them by serving them. We love one another by meeting each other's needs. Now, friends, that doesn't mean we have to do everything everyone asks of us or everyone wants. Love never enables sin. Love never enables bad choices. And friends, that's a whole message for a whole nother day. But the point here for us right now is that we love others by choosing to give of ourselves for their good, to make sure they're provided for, to make sure they're encouraged, to make sure they're taught the word of God, to make sure they have community and relationships where all those things can happen. This is a command. The what of it is a command for us to genuinely care for other people. Now that's the what, but that raises our second question, and that's the who. Who do we seek to care for in this way? We can go back to the command of verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We love our neighbor. Well, who is our neighbor? That's not a new question, friend. That's a question that was asked of Jesus back in Luke chapter 10. There was a lawyer who was testing Jesus, and the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, when the lawyer asked Jesus this question, he wasn't doing it from goodwill. He wasn't trying to say, who is my neighbor? Because he was ready to run out and help people. He was asking the question, who is my neighbor? Because he was trying to show partiality. He was trying to narrow down the circle of people in his life that he had to help. He's trying to figure out who was in and who was out so he'd have less to do. He was doing the very thing that's forbidden here. He was seeking to narrow who his neighbor was for the sake of favoritism or partiality. If you remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor, with a story, with a parable. It's one of the well-known parables of Jesus. It's often called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's a story where a man is traveling along the road. He's attacked by robbers and left for dead. And different people pass by, but one person in particular stops, goes to him, bandages his wounds, transports him to an inn, and makes sure this stranger is cared for. Now, what's so striking in Luke chapter 10 about this particular parable is that the person who helped was an outcast. The person who was, who was helping was in a group that was hated by the majority of the society. And yet this person who was the outcast chose to give of himself for the good of another. And the other that he was giving of himself for was one who would normally be excluded, one who would normally be partial against, one who would normally not be his friend, but he was still willing to love him and give of himself for his good. So there's the answer for our question. Who are our neighbors that we're to care for? Quite simply, friends, it's anyone that God puts in our path. It's anyone that God makes us aware of their needs. But friends, don't miss this. It's especially anyone in the church. We've read it before, but Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 are verses that we need to think on and chew on and meditate on. These are verses that need to own us. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, notice this, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. We have a command to be neighborly to all around us, all that God puts in our path, all whose needs are, we could become aware of. But we're called especially friends to do this for people in the church. Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. And friends, we seek to be a good neighbor regardless of those external things the world divides over. It doesn't matter if we have things in common, whether it's entertainment choices or all those other things that we mentioned earlier. It doesn't matter if we have those things in common. We are called to love people and to care for them, even if we don't have all those things the world says we need to have in common to be friends. So what do we put on, friends? We put on genuine love, genuine care for other people. Who do we seek to love and care in this way? Anyone God puts in our path without favoritism or partiality, but especially in the church. We must be intentional in pursuing those relationships in the church to love and care for one another. That raises our third question, friends. The third question is, why bother? 
And so what James is telling us to do here, and what's throughout all of Scripture, to love our neighbors, ourselves, friends, this is hard. This is not easy. This is counterculture. This goes against our fleshly desires. This goes against what the world models for us. This is tough. So why should we seek to live this way? Why should we seek to live selfless, serving others, not living for self? Well, I think verse 8 gives us two different reasons. And I want you to see this. The first reason of why we should bother with this, quite simply, is our king has told us to live this way. Our king has told us to live this way. Look back at verse 8. If you really fulfill the, notice this, the royal law. Now, the word royal means of the king. You could literally translate this. If you really fulfill the law that belongs to the king. Friends, what a reminder that God is a sovereign king over all things. As the creator of all, as the one who's sovereign over all, he has the right to rule and reign as he sees fit. He has the right and the authority to tell us how we have to live under his rule in his world. And he has told us that we are to live our lives loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, friends, I want to remind us, if we say we are Christians, if we say we are followers of Christ, that means we are confessing that we are trusting God to be not just our Savior, but also our Lord, our Master, and our boss. And though I've said it before, friends, it's so important we understand this. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. There's no sense in Scripture of, I'm going to trust Jesus and pray this prayer so I don't have to go to hell one day, but I can live like I want to live. Friends, in Scripture, if you follow Christ, yes, he is your Savior, but he's also your Lord. That means you submit yourself gladly to his ways and to let him rule and reign and direct our path. So why do we obey this? Quite simply, our king has told us to do this. This is an obedience issue. This is a lordship issue. But I want to give you a second reason in this verse of why we should bother pursuing this, why doing what is hard, not only because our king's told us to do it, but second of all, friends, because it is good. It is good, and it is so good. Look at verse 8. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, then if you do this, you are doing well. You are doing well. If we obey this command, he says, you're doing well. Now, the word well means beautiful, commendable, honorable, good. So look at it in that light. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor yourself. You are doing beautiful. You are doing commendable. You are doing good. You are doing honorable. Friends, when we as God's people do what God says is right and good by putting off favoritism and putting on genuine care and concern and love for those around us, much good happens. Much good comes to the people we're serving. Much good comes to the church that we're part of. Much good comes to our broader community. And much good comes to the whole world. Good happens when God's people obey this command. It is good. So the two reasons why we should do what's so hard here, our king said to do it. And friends, it is so good. That raises one last question for us. And this is an important question. How can we really do this? This is a hard command to follow out. This is a hard command for the people. Then it's hard for us today. That's why there's so much division in the body of Christ. That's why there's so much division within the church. That's why there's so many cliques and so much partiality because this is not nat- this is natural. This is not what God has called us to do. That's why James devotes 13 verses to this issue. So how, friends, can we change? How can we put off favoritism? How can we put on genuine love for other people? Well, it's not going to happen by mere determination. It's not going to happen by me making a checklist saying, I'm going to do this this week. It's only going to happen with heart change, with heart transformation as God changes us, as God gives us grace. Because that's what the book of James has been about. It's been showing us a life that we cannot manufacture, a life that comes when God gives us faith that transforms us. And as God gives us grace day by day to keep changing us to make us who he desires for us to be, a faith that not only saves us, but a faith that transforms us. Friends, that's why I believe the key verse of this whole book you've heard me say before is James chapter 4, verse 6. But he, God, gives more grace. The hope of this is not you and I and our determination or willpower. The hope is the grace of God being poured into our lives. Friends, we need God's grace to change us so that we genuinely can care for one another. Now, friends, that raises one last question. If God gives the grace, how do we receive it? If it's all from him, do we have any responsibility? I love how one author describes it, who I've been reading recently. He describes it as the paths of grace. That yes, God gives the grace, but there are certain paths of grace where God pours out his grace that we can run to, that we can put ourselves in the path to receive God's grace. And what are those paths? 
I want to give you three things this morning that we can practically do this a week to put ourselves in the path of receiving the grace of God to transform us. There's scripture, prayer, and community. Think about this week for just one minute. The path of grace found in scripture. We need to this week, friends, number one, read scripture. Scripture is one of God's primary means of grace of transforming us and changing us. We need to expectantly open up the word of God to read the royal law, to read the words belonging to our king. Now, particularly for this area of loving one another, of putting that on and putting off partiality, where do we start? Can I just encourage you, if you're wanting to grow in this area and need more grace in how we relate to one another, go back and reread the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And look at the example of Christ, the example of what he did, as it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can go back and look at the life of Christ and see this beautiful example of what it looks like to put off partiality and put on genuine concern and love for other people. I want to give you two other scriptures that we should read and we should meditate on and think about if we want to grow and find more grace to grow in how we relate to one another. One is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. There we're commanded to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Because what an example we have in a command all wound up in one here. Walk in love as Christ loved us. We're commanded to do what Christ did. Look at how he's loved us. Now we're commanded to do that for one another. One other text that'd be good to think about this week if you want to grow in experiencing God's grace and changing Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who they who is in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So friends, when we realize we need God's grace to transform us and to help us genuinely care for one another, we need to run to the path of grace of Scripture and to look at these commands and think about them, but also to look at the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, how he loved other people and how he loves us as well. The second thing we can practically do this week, if we want to grow in genuinely caring for other people. Second of all, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to talk to God. Now, what do we talk to God about? What do we pray about? Now, can I suggest foundationally, we should ask particularly this week for the Holy Spirit's help to love one another. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to love one another. Friends, I think so often we forget to do this. That if we are in Christ, friends, we've been given the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. He seals us. He guarantees our salvation, but also he dwells in us to change us, to grow us in godliness. I love how Jesus described him in John 14, 26, that he is the helper. Friends, we need help loving one another and having a genuine concern for one another. So let's ask for the Holy Spirit to give us his fullness and to be changing us and producing this type of life that is not natural. Friends, loving others and not being selfish, that is countercultural. That is counter what our flesh wants, and we need the help of God to do that. So let's ask for it. There's an amazing promise in Luke chapter 11, friends. It's in the context of the passage about asking, seeking, and knocking. And that whole passage is summarized in Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, this week, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to take control and to grow in us a genuine concern for one another. So let's run to scripture. Let's pray. But number three, friends, if we want to be in that path of grace, we need to get into Christian community. We need to get help from Christian community. Do you realize, friends, how God uses other believers to grow us and as a means of grace? Christian community is an essential part of our growth in godliness. That's one of the greatest sadness right now in my heart is the season that we're not able to meet together. It's so much harder to be in each other's lives like we so desperately need. And so get help from Christian community. Friends, if you're wanting to grow in loving other people and genuinely caring for other people, get other believers to walk alongside you in this. Hebrews 10.24 tells us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So what's that? We need to be stirred up by other believers so that we show love, so that we do good works. 
So ask another believer to pray for you in this area, to ask another believer to study a resource with you, and we can even recommend things for you. Ask another believer to hold you accountable and to ask you the hard questions about how you're doing in loving other people in the way that God loves us. So run to these paths of grace God has given to us in Scripture and in prayer and in community. Friends, we desperately need God's grace to change us so we can genuinely care for one another. So we can give of ourselves for the good of another without partiality, without favoritism. And we do this, friends, so that God's church is built up, so that God's people are loved and encouraged, and ultimately so God is glorified. And as we find grace to do these things, friends, God will be glorified, and you and I will find great joy in a life lived by his grace and what he's called us to be and to do. We need God's grace to change us to genuinely care for one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for the great love that you have shown us. You've taken wretches like us who deserve nothing but judgment and wrath, and you have adopted us. You have made us your own. You took your enemies and you seated us at your table. God, you've made us your children, but you didn't stop there. You've forgiven us of our sins. God, you have given us so many blessings. You've given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. You've given us grace upon grace. You've given us a new identity in Christ. You're changing our desires. You're growing us. You've given us the promise of heaven and so much more, friends. You've been so, God, you've been so kind to us. You've been so good to us. And Lord, I pray this week that we would meditate, that we would dwell on, that we would think about your grace gifts to us, that we think about how you have loved us and God, that that would drive us and motivate us, not just to worship you in response, but to love others in the same way you have loved us. God, we confess we cannot manufacture this. We cannot create a life that is lived this way in our own. So God, we ask, ask this week for much grace, a grace upon grace for you to be changing our affections, changing our desires, giving us conviction of sin where we fall short, giving us a desire to run back to you and repent when we fall short, and ultimately giving us just the hope we need to walk before you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, would you join us as we sing our closing song this morning? Wash away my sin.
What an amazing truth that is, that we who are your enemies are now your friends, all because of your grace. God, even as we say thank you, those words seem so inadequate for all the love that you have shown to us. But Lord, we don't know what else to say, but thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. God, we ask that as we experience the wonders of your mercy and grace and love and kindness to us, that God, that it would not stop with us. But Lord, we would point others to how they can find that grace and mercy in you alone, that we would show that same type of love to others. Lord, would you be sanctifying us and growing us to make us more and more of a people who by your grace have a genuine love for one another. ask it all. God bless you, gang and family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.